first of all, if you've got a computer or a phone handy, you might pull up at least uh, one graphic to look at after I get into the forecast a little bit later on. It's at wortfm.org forward slash weather. And in the featured graphics up at the top of the page there, there's a water vapor view of the continent, the North American continent, the Pacific Ocean, which I'll talk about a little bit in terms of the context for what's coming up this coming week in the upper air. But first, I do want to return to last Thursday for a moment, which, uh, as you've probably heard, produced the first tornado ever recorded in Wisconsin in February. We'd previously had tornadoes actually in every other calendar month. So while this event was novel in some ways, therefore, what's perhaps more striking is the fact that we have had tornadoes in December and January, for example, in Wisconsin. Indeed, you might remember the January tornadoes. Those were back in 2008. It actually occurred in early January at that, if you recall, I think around the 7th or the 8th of the month, down in Walworth and Racine counties in that case. So a tornado in February is actually a little less surprising to me. Uh, After all, uh, given the increased day length by this time of year, especially as we get later in the month, we can start to see some pretty stout warm fronts starting to swing up into the area from the south. And those low-level boundaries are often the locus for early season tornadoes. The uh, warm front that pushed northeastward through here around noon on this past Thursday was not especially what I would call stout. The uh, temperatures and dew points bumped up maybe four or five degrees after its passage. And in any case, the tornadoes in Green and Rock County that we saw later in the day were not generated along the warm front per se, but in the more general warm sector of a low-pressure system that was passing to our northwest, just ahead of the cold front in this case where the tornadoes popped up. Heat and moisture in that warm sector were uh, actually what I would describe maybe at best as sort of bare minimums for generating tornadoes, mid-50s for temperatures and upper 40s for dew points, respectively. And the Storm Prediction Center noted as much in their assessments beforehand of the severe risk. So while those thermodynamic factors were marginal at best for tornadoes, the predicted temperature and wind profiles through the lowest three miles of the air column on the forecast models, uh, this was even as early as Wednesday afternoon on the models, were quite concerning. And I remarked on that when I gave the forecast on the news on Wednesday evening. The uh, predicted temperature drop above us between about four and 10,000 feet was impressive, potentially allowing even air parcels with quite wimpy thermodynamics to achieve pretty robust buoyancy uh, once they became saturated. And wind speeds above us were predicted to leap from 15 miles per hour at ground level up to 60 miles per hour, just a mile aloft, with a good 50 or 60 degrees of directional veering from south-southeast to southwest in that interval as well. So from that predicted speed and directional shearing, we were expecting plenty of potential uh, helicity or turning in the low-level environment. And from the temperature profile, very good buoyancy and upward-directed energy if enough lifting could be realized to achieve some saturation. And we didn't have to scout too far for a lifting mechanism either. Just to our south, a speed maximum in the upper-level jet was expected to be accelerating into northeastern Illinois by the late afternoon hours, with southern Wisconsin sitting just to its left front side, which is a spot that's classically associated with upper divergence and therefore uh, lifting and upwelling from below. And as it happened, the same upper-level jet in which that speed maximum was embedded also helped to clear the skies in the warm sector of the storm during the afternoon. So between that extra dose of warming and just enough moisture making it northward into Wisconsin for a little buoyancy and then that speed max happening along to our south just at the right moment before it got dark and we started to cool down, 
The atmosphere managed to generate just enough lift to jumpstart some low-top thunderstorms, which almost immediately thereafter became uh, supercellular. Given the strong cooling aloft and the strong turning in the low-level environment that I was mentioning, so ideal setup for a tornado. So that is how we made two tornadoes, actually one of them a long-track EF2 strength storm out of what was otherwise a pretty marginal situation in terms of heat and moisture for severe weather on this past Thursday. There's currently a retrospective on the storm, by the way, that's posted on the front page of the National Weather Service Sullivan site up in the headline section, which I encourage you to check out, especially the material that you'll find under the Environment tab down below, which spells out some of the things I just went over, except with the addition of some uh, useful graphics. I've added a link to that article, by the way, on the uh, WRT Weather webpage this morning for your convenience. It's up near the top of the page. By the way, I'm planning to use this event as a case study in the severe weather class I'll be doing at Ulbrick Botanical Gardens on March 5th between 5.30 and 7.30 p.m. and also in the three-class series out at Madison College Truax Campus. Uh, that'll be on Monday evenings between March 18th and April 1st. So check out the websites of those institutions if you're interested in additional learning opportunities, both about severe weather and the atmosphere more generally. Anyway, though, on to a more relevant topic, since there's a week of weather ahead of us that I haven't even touched on yet. I can say at the outset that this coming week holds little of interest, I'm afraid. Uh, it's probably not going to satisfy those of you who are looking for a return to winter before February finally dwindles away in a couple of weeks. The reason for this upcoming quiescent period uh, are somewhat evident on the water vapor image of the continent and the Pacific Ocean that I was mentioning, which shows a couple of regions in which the uh, west-east energy of the jet stream is concentrated. One, uh, generally along the Tropic of Cancer, running eastward from the central Pacific and recurving northeast uh, up across Mexico and the Gulf Coast region. Uh, that's become a familiar sight during this El Nino winter, and it's still in place, cutting us off from Gulf of Mexico moisture by and large. The other area of energy is running eastward at about uh, 40 degrees north latitude. That more zonal jet becomes more choppy and uh, meridional as it approaches the continent. And the ridge that's currently visible building up northward uh, into the Gulf of Alaska is going to help provide Arctic airflow to its east off the ice cap and down into central and the eastern part of Canada over the coming days. So at least that part of the normal late winter upper air setup is starting to look more like we'd expect at this time of year. That cold air is going to make a run on the upper Midwest late week and uh, even generate a couple of little uh, weak low pressure circulations out ahead of it as it comes southward. So we may see a bit of snow actually Thursday morning and again on Friday. But the zonality that's currently visible in the jet stream out over the Pacific Ocean to the west is going to manifest increasingly over the continent as we get later in the week. So it's unclear just how deeply that Arctic air is going to penetrate southward before it begins to be sheared off to the east over towards Quebec. The global forecast systems model and the European are currently at loggerheads on this topic with radically different temperature outcomes for Saturday and Sunday, like upper teens for high temperatures on the GFS model versus upper 30s on the European for high temperatures Saturday. So a real muddle when it comes to the end of the week period. The Canadian model, for what it's worth, falls on the somewhat colder side of the equation there. What's clearer is the lack of precipitation generally this week outside of that kind of Thursday into Friday time frame. Uh, and neither of those systems, either Thursday or Friday, looks to be terribly significant, cut off uh, from the Gulf of Mexico and its moisture as they will be by the uh, subtropical jet lying to our south. 
So anyway, as for today, getting to the forecast, passing high and mid-level clouds ahead of a weak cold front pressing southward across the uh, towards the area are really the only possible hindrances today to a completely clear sky. Temperatures will reach the uh, low 40s on uh, west to southwest winds at 5 to 10 miles per hour, veering more west and northwest through the day. Occasional passing clouds in the overnight should hold us in the uh, mid or upper 20s, with north-northwesterly winds staying up at about 4 to 8 miles per hour. And tomorrow, continued cold air advection through the day on northwesterly winds at 5 to 10 miles per hour will hold the temperatures down in the mid-30s for a day. And the steeper lapse rates in the cooler air coming in at the low levels will, will promote, I think, a fair amount of cumulus development tomorrow. Temperatures will drop to the uh, mid-20s during the overnight with lighter, more northeasterly winds continuing to veer east and southeast and then south by Wednesday morning. And we may see an increase in high clouds as well as we get on towards morning on Wednesday. And the day Wednesday will continue in a kind of partly cloudy vein, I think mostly with passing high and mid-level clouds during the daylight hours. The southerly winds ramp up to 8 to 12 miles per hour and push the temperatures back into the low and uh, possibly the mid-40s if we do get some clearing during the day. Cloud cover will thicken, though, and lower as we get late in the day and in the overnight, and uh, developing low pressure out over the central plains zips eastward ahead of the incoming colder air to our north. Temperatures will be uh, marginal for snow at the outset of precipitation uh, in the overnight between Wednesday and Thursday, but I'm expecting that what falls overnight will generally be snow. And it is possible we could pick up maybe a quick inch or so before dawn when the system will be already be on its way east. Temperatures will hold in the low 30s overnight as southwesterly winds veer more northwesterly and come up to about 10 to 15 miles per hour. And Thursday will be breezy and cooler with uh, morning snow flurries, I think, ending fairly quickly after dawn. And the uh, sky's clearing on uh, northwesterly winds at 12 to 18 miles per hour, perhaps gusty with uh, clearing in the afternoon hours. High clouds are likely to thicken again uh, in the overnight with temperatures dropping to the low 20s. Then we'll hold sub-freezing, I think, for a couple of days. This is something we haven't even done yet this month as far as the daily highs are concerned. We've been over 32 every single day in February. We may see a bit of light snow on Friday. Again, that system is a little tentative and doesn't look terribly strong in any case. And just how cold then we get as we get into the weekend is a matter uh, that's still open to questions. So I won't hazard a guess at this point, but uh, I should likely have a better prediction on that score in any event on the Wednesday evening news forecast between 6 and 7 p.m. on Wednesday. So do tune in for that if you can.